Good morning. It is so good to be with you all today. Uh, I've just had some really encouraging things happen. I always love watching that. Like there is nothing better than seeing somebody surrender to Jesus and begin new life in him. Amen? Amen. And earlier today, I, I just got to tell you a quick story. I was talking to a guy who uh, I learned this last week. He walks to church. He doesn't have a ride to church. I'm so He's been walking to church for a while. And, you know, we've had some warmer days recently, but it's getting cold. And he's like, man, nothing's stopping me. Nothing's going to keep me from getting to church. And I love that kind of spirit. And so last service, I just asked, he was in last service, I just asked, hey, if anyone's willing to give him a ride, let me know this week. Call the church office. Send me an email. Before the service was done, people figured out who it was because he... He kind of knew some of them already, and he already has rides. They had already set up rides for the next several weeks, months for him. So church, that's just awesome. It's a church being what the church should be, right? But I love his spirit that nothing is going to keep him away from church. And listen, I, I'm going to give a shout out to you. I know some of you all, you've been through surgeries and you're recovering. Some of you have long-term illnesses. Some of you are in wheelchairs. And for my parents, as they got older... Um, and I saw when it was very hard for my dad to walk, it takes a lot of energy to get anywhere and to get somewhere early or to get somewhere and be there for a while. And so we know and we applaud you for spending the energy it takes to get to church, those of you who are in those situations. Uh, you have hero status in my book. I just want to let you know that. So thanks that with all the limited amount of energy units you get during the day that you'll spend most of them to be here with us. That's super encouraging. And that kind of challenges the rest of us too. So thanks. Like We love you and we're grateful that you spend that energy to be here. Well, church, it is Christmas season and I get really excited about the Christmas season. Last week, I think I told you we were in week 49 of our series. It's not. This week is week 49. Last week was week 48. I just get so excited about Christmas, like I just skip weeks trying to get there, you know. And part of that is I, I love gifts, and I'm, I, of course, I love getting them like anybody else, but I love giving gifts, and sometimes I give a really good one, and I get really excited about that, but it's the, the season of gift giving. And I'm just curious, how many of you are good rappers? Like, like you would say you are a meticulous rapper. Like some of you, you look up here and... The fact that I have a bag is like, oh, you didn't, right? Like, some of you are like, praise God that we have, like, that takes me out of the wrapping stuff. I can just throw it in a bag, throw some paper on top, and I'm good. But how many of you would say that you are a meticulous wrapper? Like, there's only one right way to wrap a gift. Maybe, maybe I should ask, how many of you know somebody like that? Because some people aren't going to be like, yeah, that's good. How many of you know the person who is, like, almost obnoxious with the wrapping? It's all going to line up. Just right. Even this, you look at it, you're like, Fitz, that bow is terrible. It got smashed, so back off. Um, but you're like, no, that's still not that good, you know. All right, so how many of you, though... You're more like my Grandpa Fitz. My, my Grandpa Fitz, when I was a kid, like, I just knew it was a big deal to get a gift from him because he, uh, he lived during the Depression era, and he did not have much money at all, and he was raising my dad and my dad's brothers, the, my uncles, when, uh, when they didn't have anything, and then he went off to war, and, and I mean, the whole thing was just like, man, to, to have money. So uh, Grandpa was one of those guys, like, you just wrap it in whatever you got. 
right? And, and it may look like this. The paper might not even match. It might be boxing tape and duct tape. You probably still see the box on there. And I mean, honestly, there were a lot of times where it was just, you know, newspaper wrapped around it. And he would try and use the funny section, the comics. Uh, but sometimes it was like the, you know, like the boring business section. To like, am I supposed to read this before I open it? What's the gift? You know, or just a brown paper bag or whatever he had available. Sometimes there was just a sheet over something in the room. But how many of you are like, yeah, the wrapping's not a big deal to me because it's what's inside that counts. I know some of y'all are like, yeah, but the wrapping shows, like that's a reflection of the, of the gift, and that's a reflection of how I care for the giver, and that's a reflection of me. And others of you, you're like, now who cares, man? I'm just tearing it off anyway, and it's all about what's inside. How many of you are like, the wrapping doesn't, all right, yeah, there we go. So I'm probably a little more like that, although I'm the more meticulous wrapper in our family, if there is one. So you're probably wondering, okay, that's all great, that this gift thing and this wrapping, how does that fit in the Christmas story? Like we know Jesus is God's gift to us. Well, the wrapping is actually more significant than you might think because Luke in his gospel begins with the present wrapped. She, speaking of Mary, gave birth to her firstborn son and she did what? Wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger. The best Christmas wrapping for the best Christmas gift ever. And she was there in the manger with the boy because there was no lodging available for them. Well, that night, there were some shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. And they were terrified, and you would be too. If you're chilling, let's just say you're camping somewhere, and it's evening, and you put out the fire and it's about time to go to bed and all of a sudden the sky lights up with the radiance of God and there's an angelic being speaking to you, you're going to be terrified too. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. A little late for that, bro. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. And the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, he's been born today in Bethlehem in the city of David. You'll recognize him by this sign. You'll find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. And then, suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven. Now, I don't know how you picture the angels of heaven, if they're chill little beings and maybe little babies with wings and they're sitting on clouds and playing harps. That is not the biblical picture of angels. The armies of heaven, that's the biblical picture of angels. Heavenly armies. Like your Delta Force commandos, your Navy SEALs of Army show up in the sky, but they've got good voices. They're all praising God and singing, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Well, when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that God has told us about. And they hurried on to Bethlehem. Next slide, I think. They hurried to the village, and they found Mary and Joseph, and there was a baby lying in the manger wrapped up in those snuggly little cloths. And after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. And everyone who heard was astonished. Now, at Christmas, we celebrate the birth of Jesus. We celebrate how Jesus left the perfection of paradise in heaven to come here 
into the brokenness of our world. We celebrate that Jesus came amongst us, came as one of us. And when Luke tells his story of the birth, and we see Jesus wrapped as a baby, snuggled in strips of linen, that Jesus is wrapped up, that reminds us that Jesus was God wrapped in the flesh. God with skin on, if you will. That, that God adorned himself with the trappings and the wrappings of a mortal body. He dressed himself in our human limitations. He, he dressed himself like us. He did not lose his essence of being God, but Scripture tells us he put all the divine privileges of being God to the side. And still fully God, he became fully man with the limitations of humanity. Now, he never sinned, but he still faced all the temptations we face. He faced the wounds, the pains, the hurts, the fears. He faced the, the scrapes and the scars and the cuts, physically and metaphorically. And the beauty in all of that is that God came to be like us. God himself was wrapped in humanity so that we would know that he gets us. Now, that's not the only reason. Last week, we explored why Jesus came, that he came to save us from our sin, that he came to declare that he is king over all creation, that he came to usher in his kingdom. But in doing so, he did it wrapped in the trappings of humanity. And so he removes the excuse from us that, well, of course, you're God, so you don't understand what it's like to be human. You give us all these rules, but you don't know what it's like to live on this earth, so we get to go our own way, do our own thing. No, no, no. He knows full well what it is to be human. He understands. He's not a foreigner to our frailty and to our limitations and our temptations. And so he can sympathize and empathize with our struggles. And even though Jesus was perfectly sinless, and he resisted perfectly every temptation and never once sinned, Scripture tells us that at the cross, Jesus took all of our sins on himself. In fact, it tells us he became sin for us, to free us from our sin and all of its consequences. So that means that there on the cross, Jesus experienced all the worst consequences of sin, and he experienced all those all at once for all people of all time. All the ugliness of crime, all the helplessness of addiction, all the regret of anger, all the pain of rejection, all the shame of indulgence, all those times when you've been left out by others, all those times when you thought somebody was a friend and they end up stabbing you in the back, all the times that somebody spoke against you or hurt you or the times that you've done that to others and you've experienced broken relationship, all those feelings, all that pain came onto Jesus as he hung there as a human on a cross. And after the cross, after he died, he was then buried. Crucifixion followed by a burial. But then, as Jesus' body lay in the ground, there was another miracle as marvelous as the Christmas miracle of what happened in that manger with the birth of Jesus. Something equally marvelous happened, and Luke picks it up there at the end of his gospel. We've talked about the cradle, and let's explore what happened just after the cross. Very early on Sunday morning, the women went to Jesus' tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They wanted to treat his body for burial. They hadn't had proper time to properly honor him with the spices, and they needed closure. They needed to honor him, so they were going to do that. 
But then when they arrived there, they found that the stone in front of the grave had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Now, you remember the shepherds went to Bethlehem to find Jesus and a little baby, and they found him there wrapped in cloth. Well, the women went to find the body of Jesus, and he wasn't there. He's gone. And as they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. Now, we know, as in the context of this, these two men are angels. They're, ange- sorry, they're angelic beings. And here they are. You remember when the angels appeared to the shepherds? That they had the radiance of God's glory. Well, here, these angels are dressed in dazzling robes. They've got the razzle-dazzle-snazzle of, of heaven going on, right? These are not just angels. These are angels with grip, as some young people might say. I'm sure my kids love that I'm trying to use their language. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. And you would be too, right? Anytime there's an angel that shows up, it's like, yikes, because they are terrifying beings. But they're on our side, right? So... The man asked, the angels asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who's alive? He's not here. He's risen from the dead. Woo-hoo. Remember what he told you back in Galilee? That the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men. He must be crucified. And that he would rise again from the grave on the third day. And at that, the women were like, oh, yeah. We were like, oops, yikes. We kind of forgot that part of the story. Yes, he did say that. So they did what? They rushed back from the tomb to tell the disciples. You remember how the shepherds rushed to find the baby? And then once they saw Jesus, they went and they told everybody about him? Well, these women did not find Jesus there, but they had the angelic encounter. So they rushed to tell the 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. And it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. Let me just pause there. If you were making up a story of resurrection in the first century, two groups of people you would not use to legitimize your story would be shepherds and women. Because shepherds, even though the metaphor of shepherd is used beautifully throughout the Bible, even though God is spoken of metaphorically as our shepherd, the actual role of a shepherd in the first century was a pretty lowly role. Those weren't people of power or influence. Those were People on the sidelines. And women? No, women were second-class citizens at best. They did not have place. They did not have prominence. They did not have a voice in that culture. They were looked down upon. You should speak only when spoken to and only then when asked for it. I mean, the things that were said of women. So to use women and shepherds as the proclaimers of good news would be outlandish. It actually speaks to the validity of the story. But this story sounded like nonsense to the men. Now, this isn't just guys dismissing those women. Think about it. You've hung out with your buddy. He's arrested. He's tried. He's crucified and killed and buried in the grave. And then the women come back like, yeah, we think he's actually alive. Uh, what'd you eat last night? You know? <laughs> and so they did not believe it. However... Pete jumped up and ran, there it is again, you see this urgency. He ran to the tomb to look. Stooping in, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings. How are you going to identify the baby in the manger? Well, he'll be wrapped snugly in linen cloth. But how about your resurrected Savior? Well, he leaves the wrappings there. Then Pete went home again, wondering what had happened. 
still uncertain about the resurrection, still uncertain about what's going on. Well, next, Luke, in his gospel account, tells of a couple of the disciples who were walking along the road, walking to another village, discussing everything, and Jesus joins them as they're walking along. But he supernaturally disguises himself so they don't recognize that it's Jesus. And Jesus walks along, has a conversation with them, and then they get to where they're going. They invite him to eat with them. He eats with them. And then when he breaks bread with them, it reminds them of what happened in the upper room, and they realize it's Jesus. And then Jesus, being sneaky like he is sometimes, steps out. So these guys rush back to tell everyone else. And just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. I love this picture. It's kind of like if you've ever seen an account where somebody who's in the military and has been deployed comes home and they're talking to the family like they're still deployed, but they're actually in the other room and the family is watching the screen and they're looking at the, the computer and then the person walks in behind them and sneaks up and is like, hey, what are y'all watching? And they're like, whoa, you're here, right? This is kind of one of those moments. I envision Jesus kind of coming into the back of the room. They're talking about the resurrection. We, we broke bread with Jesus, and here's Jesus. And all of a sudden he says, peace be with you. And they're like, wow. You know, they're, they're like, wow, check this out. But the whole group was startled. Jesus is here. And they're frightened because they thought he was a ghost. So Jesus speaks to that. Why are you frightened, he says. Now listen, sometimes I think Jesus asks questions that he's just having fun. Why are you frightened? Because you were dead and you're now standing amongst us. What? Why are your hearts filled with doubt, he says. He's reminding them, I've told you all this was going to happen. Why are you scared? Why, why are you shocked? You knew this was coming. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. I love that. Look and see, and you'll know. Touch me and make sure that I'm not a ghost, because ghosts, they don't have bodies, as you can see that I do. And as he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet and the scars that were there. There's so many parallels between the birth of Jesus in the manger and the resurrection of Jesus from the grave, which is like a second birth from the grave. The, the visit of the angels, the shock of the people, the wrapping and unwrapping of the cloth, the proclamation to all the other people, the promise of peace, so much to celebrate. But you might not be there. You might be newer to all this, and you might be like those guys in that room, man, this sounds pretty outlandish. Sounds a little too good to be true. Sounds kind of fictitious. And so you don't yet believe. Or maybe you're one of those people who you've come to church for a while, maybe a long while. You appreciate all the good things the church does. You like what the church is about. You like the social group. You like the morality. There's a lot to like about the church, but you're not quite sure that you're really in with Jesus. And maybe you want to admit that to anyone else, but when you're alone, you have your doubts, you wonder. In his book, Quest 52, the devotion we've been using this year, we're in week 49, author Mark Moore actually asked the question for this week, did Jesus rise from the grave? Did he rise from the dead? And then 
he gives some evidence for why we can answer yes, a resounding yes to that. But it's a short chapter, and he's limited in space there, so he gives us some other things to look into, some more things to research. Now, friends, I could give you mounds of evidence. I could give you tons of scholarly research, book after book, article after article. I I could fill your days with the scholarship that gives evidence to the resurrection. But the reality is, there's only so much that you can handle with that. There's really up to you of what you'll do with that. So so I want to take just a brief moment and share with you one of the things that was most transformational to me when I was a young skeptic, doubter, non-believer. When I I said, man, that sounds like nonsense. I'm not sure. I want to believe, but I'm I'm just not there yet. And it's the, the story, the testimony of a guy named Saul. Saul was a Jewish religious leader. Saul had everything going for him. Saul had a place politically, religiously, socially, economically. I mean, Paul, like, he was at the top with all of that. And Paul was actually an antagonist of the church. He was going after the church. He was taking Christians and throwing them in prison and having some of them killed because he believed that it was false, that that Christianity was a cult, that it was against the true religion. And then he had this miraculous, marvelous, supernatural encounter with Jesus, and it changed his life. Saul, as God so often does, got a name change to Paul, and Paul became the leading preacher, church planner, evangelist, missionary in the first century for the church. Paul radically surrendered his life and gave his life to the cause of Christ. This is Paul, who as Saul had everything to lose and nothing to gain by following Jesus. He he would lose all earthly status. But this is is Paul, who later said, if if the resurrection's not true, there's nothing to gain from this. I mean, so, listen, if the resurrection wasn't true, Paul would not have been in. But but he was, And, and this is what he said. He said, following Jesus means I have everything to gain and nothing to lose. This is Paul who said, all of the best things I had in this world are like doo-doo that can be flushed down the toilet. That's the language he used writing to the church at Philippi. In that same letter to Philippi, he said, for to live is Christ and to die is only gain to be with him. The story of Paul who had Nothing to gain and everything to lose if the resurrection was false shows true because he had everything to gain and nothing to lose if it was real. And so he pursued Jesus. And his story is then echoed in the story of all the other disciples, the other apostles, who when they weren't sure, Peter goes back to his home, unsure about what to make of an empty tomb, goes back to fishing. All the others go back to what they were doing before. Except Matthew, he had kind of hung out with the Romans. He gave up on that. He was just like, I don't know what to do now. These guys were not in until, until Jesus shows up and they encounter Jesus. And the proof of the resurrection for them, they put their whole lives into it to the point that they were martyred for their faith, killed because they believed. And their story has been the same story of billions of other Christians over the last two millennia. People whose lives were radically changed People standing against the church who now profess Christ. People who were unsure, who are now sure without a doubt. 
And I could give you all the evidence. I could give you books to read and articles to read and things to study. And, but the reality is, we could have all the evidence before us. We still might not believe. Like, we all know what's up. We've all seen the evidence. We've all heard that we know we need enough sleep and enough exercise and not too much food and the right kinds of foods for our bodies to be at their optimal performance. But then we all look in the mirror or we look at how many hours we've been sitting in front of a TV with a Snickers bar in one hand and a Coke in the other. And we know the evidence is there. Like, it's clear. It's just we've not done anything with it. We can have all the evidence right in front of us. It's up to us to actually believe it and not just believe it up here, but to believe it with our hands and our feet to do something with it. When I was in college, I was a history major, used to be a history teacher. I had a history professor who was a world-renowned scholar in the area of Roman history. Uh, that's the era where Jesus was born, lived, died, resurrected. But this guy was an antagonist against the church. He, he went after the church sometimes in class. So just being a college student, I wanted to be careful and I wanted to approach it with humility, but I set up some office hours to talk to him about that. And I went into his office and I brought some resources with me. I asked if he was familiar with them. He was. We talked through some of the evidence and I said, so what do you make of this? He says, oh, it's all legit. And I was shocked. I was blown away. I said, well, that was not the answer. He said, oh, I didn't figure that'd be the answer you'd tell that kid. I said, well, but doc, you, you, don't, you don't believe. He goes, no, there's... There's a lot of evidence, there's a lot of scholarship that would point to the validity of the resurrection. I just choose not to believe it because I prefer to live the way I'm living. He wanted to be king of his own life. I think there are a lot of other people there. We just prefer to go our own way. But we prefer to deny what's true. I think most people don't quite get to the place of doctrine. But most people don't get to the place where they've actually examined the evidence. They just stop at saying, well, that sounds like nonsense. So I'm going to choose not to believe. But they never actually examine. But what does Jesus invite us to do? Jesus says, look, look at my hands, look at my feet. Looks at Thomas and says, put your hand right here on my side where the spear pierced me. He says, look, look, come touch me. Let's, let's have a meal together. Ghosts don't do that. I'm alive again. Now, it does beg the question, there's some mysteries in the resurrection, right? Just as an aside, right? Jesus left the linen wrappings behind. Where did he get the clothes he was wearing when he hung out with these people? I'm just saying, he's not a thief. I think there's some kind of mystery in the resurrection where he's clothed in the heavenly garments of righteousness. There's something there. But Jesus is hanging out with him. He says, look and see, let's hang out, let's have a meal. You'll see that I'm actually with you. And they give themselves to it. He echoes what the psalmist says in the Old Testament. Psalm 34, 8 says, Taste and see that God is good. Blessed is the person who takes refuge in him. Taste and see. Man, this time of year, there's always at least a couple people who invite me to taste some new dessert they've made. God bless you. Thank you. Listen, we talk addictions and stuff, man. Sugar is my vice, but I'm all in. So you can hold me accountable, but still, I'm willing to be your guinea pig. I love a good taste test, but there is no better taste test than this one right here. God invites you to take a taste test. He says, come and see. Same thing Jesus said, look and see. Look for yourself. Listen, I can give you all the evidence and all the accuracy. You don't have to take my word for it. You don't have to take anybody else's word for it. You just simply experience 
for yourself the reality of the resurrection. And when you do, that experiential evidence will be the only evidence you really need. Everything else is just icing on the cake. It'll just confirm what you already know to be true in your own life. My life speaks of the evidence of the resurrection time and time and time again. And I don't know all of you in here. I don't know all of your stories. But I know hundreds of people in this church. And I know their stories that speak of the resurrection power of Jesus still at work in our lives today. Marriages healed, addicts walking free, people who've had miraculous health, uh, re- like given to them again. I mean, on and on it goes. People who once were somebody that nobody wanted to hang out with, who are now some of the kindest, most loving, most generous people in the world. On and on it goes. Changed life after changed life after changed life. And that is only because of the power of the resurrection, God's power in us. You know, friends, when we are born, we get wrapped up. Wrapped up in the sin of this world, wrapped up in all the bad things. And there's this mess we get wrapped up in, this mess of conflicting beauty and brokenness. All the beauty because we're created in the image and the amazing gods. We have that beauty, but all the brokenness of the sin that distorts that image, like somebody spray painting over a Monet, the the image of God vandalized in our lives by our sin. And so we get wrapped up in sin, and we get wrapped up in our pride, and wrapped up in our anger, and wrapped up in our fear, and wrapped up in our shame, and wrapped up in our lust, and wrapped up in our greed, and wrapped up in our exhaustion, and wrapped up in our gluttony, and on and on it goes. But at the resurrection, there's this incredible thing that happens where all of those wrappings are left behind like the linen wrappings of the grave clothes left in Jesus' tomb that at the resurrection we come out dressed in this new like heavenly righteousness. The garments of resurrection were wrapped up in the righteousness. We're wrapped up in peace, wrapped up in freedom and forgiveness, wrapped up in joy and peace. And so we trade one wrapping for another. But all that hindered us becomes unwrapped from us. And maybe, maybe you're not quite there. Maybe you're in desperate need of the resurrection power. You've been wrapped up in the brokenness of this world. Maybe in your relationships, your finances, your health, or whatever. I don't know your story, but I know that it's pretty easy to get wrapped up in all the things here. And so maybe you need God to breathe some resurrection power into you to resurrect your hope or to resurrect your joy or to resurrect your peace. And peace not like this world gives, but peace like Jesus gives. Peace that doesn't make sense given the circumstance of this world. Because we'll still stay in a world that's broken and messy, but yet we have hope and assurance through that. Peace that only makes sense given who God is and how he still works. <laughs> maybe some of you mamas, dealing with all the craziness of schools and plays and parties and kids and presents and having people to the house and managing all the things. Maybe you just need a resurrection of your sanity. Just, God, just give me five minutes when nobody knocks on the bathroom door. I know some of you mamas. <laughs> I know your prayers. Maybe, maybe you've never known any of that. You don't need a resurrection. You need God to do a Christmas miracle in your life this year. No less than what he did in that manger a couple thousand years ago. The only way for that to happen is for you to do what Lakesha did. When you surrender your life to Jesus, when you put your old way of living to death in the water of the baptistry and you come up in a brand new life with Jesus, you let his resurrection power permeate every area of your life. Friend, if 
you aren't sure about what's next for you, if you aren't sure about some of the things you're facing, if you know you need prayer or you just need some counsel, I'm going to invite you when, when the message is done and we sing the next song, some of our elders from the church are going to gather right over here to the right, your right, um, under the manger cross there. They're willing to pray for you. They're willing to offer some counsel to you. And maybe you don't like coming down when there's still a crowd in the room. A couple of them will linger after the service. They'll be there. And if you want to come as everybody else is leaving, they'll, they'll meet with you then. You know, at Christmas, Jesus wrapped himself in flesh so that at Easter, he could set us free from all the trappings of those wrappings for eternity. So that he could wrap us up in his righteousness and his peace. So he could wrap us up in everything good. So this year at Christmas, I want to invite you, as you unwrap your presents, think about not only the birth of the Savior and how he was wrapped so snugly and sweetly in the linen cloth in the manger, but think about the resurrection and celebrate how Christ has unwrapped you from all that once prevented you from being wrapped up in his peace. And if you're one of those people who is a meticulous wrapper, my gut tells me you might also be a meticulous unwrapper. God help you. <laughs> Some of us don't have the patience for that. Like, just open the present already. <laughs> I'm going to encourage you, if you're one of those slow to unwrap and save the paper, take at least just one gift this year and just tear into it, man. Because my guess is, at the resurrection, you're not going to be slowing down to fold the old garments and fold the clothes and leave them neatly. You're going to tear it all off, leave it behind, and get wrapped up in the glory of God as you chase the lamb. All right? So take just one and remind yourself of the resurrection. You can use all the others to remind yourself of the birth and all the sweetness of wrapping up a baby. Now, there's one more thing I want to encourage you with, and Actually, we're going to speak to this next week, but to give a little foreshadowing. You remember what happened after the shepherds encounter this baby? What do they do? They run and they tell everyone about it. And what did the women do when the grave was empty? They ran back and they told everyone about it. And later on, all the guys in the room and all the gals in that room who encountered Jesus, they went and they told everyone about it. And people have been telling others about it for the last couple thousand years, and that's why we're here today. And at some point, someone told us about it. And for some of us, we didn't even know we needed to hear. We didn't even know we wanted to hear. But once we heard and our lives were changed, we were grateful that somebody took the courage to tell us. Well, I'm pretty confident that every one of us knows at least one person who needs to hear it. Here at OCC, our mission is to help everyone find and follow Jesus. But as we've been saying all year, for us to reach everyone means that each one of us needs to reach one and we do that for the glory of Jesus. So when you came in today, you received one of these cards. And I know we've used these. If you've been with us throughout this year, you've gotten these cards before. You received one of these cards as you came in today. I want to encourage you to take that card and write the name of your one. And maybe you got more than one name. And that's great. Three, five, thirty. <laughs> but write at least one name on that card. And then commit to pray for that person every day for the remainder of this year at least, and then invite them to join you, not just to attend, but invite them to join you at Christmas at OCC. We have three opportunities for that, 4 p.m. on December 23rd, 
9 a.m. and 11 a.m. on December 24th. Invite them to join you here, because who knows? They might just find everything they need. You know, we all know at least one person who's wrapped up in all the wrong things. And some of them, it's pretty obvious. They know it, and everybody else knows it too. For a lot of them, they've hidden it pretty well. They've wrapped themselves in the best trappings of this world. It's luxuries, it's pleasures. But we know on the inside, they're desperate for the hope that we have in Jesus. They're desperate to get unwrapped from all those other things so they can be wrapped up in his peace. So let's ask God to give us the courage and to give us the compassion to help them find exactly what they're looking for in that baby in the manger, that Savior from the cross, that resurrected King. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have entered into our world and you know what it's like to be human. All the pain and the problems, the hurts, the challenges, the temptations, and yet you overcame it all. Gloriously and beautifully, you overcame it all. Even to the point of death, you overcame. And you are our resurrected Savior and our reigning King. So we celebrate you and we praise you. But God, there are others who don't know you as Savior. They don't know you as King. They only know all the problems of this world. They don't know the overcomer. So God, I pray you would break our hearts for those people in our lives, those people who are far from you, who are desperate for the hope that we have. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would give us the compassion that would compel us to share the good news with them, like the women running from the tomb, like the shepherds running from the manger that you would give us the courage to speak to them, that you would give us the wisdom to know the right words at the right time with the right tone, not to overwhelm, but to invite them to find their hope and their new life in you. And Father, we pray that it won't just stop with one, but just like in those stories in Scripture, we'll tell everyone about the good news of our Savior Jesus.